Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone. So, Dr. Chan, good to see you again today. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Dr. McDonald? I'm good. I do enjoy our weekly chats. It's fun to catch up with you and see how life is going. So today we're going to talk about the variant, COVID-19 variants and COVID-19 variants and the vaccine. So I hear a lot in the news about the variant, and I thought we'd break it down today. I'm going to talk through what is a variant, what all you need to know about. So today is a soup to nuts episode on the variant. So are you ready for this, Dr. Chan? I am ready and excited. So it's been in the news, but what really is the variant of SARS-CoV-2? Yeah, it's a great question. So I I think one question, too, is whether or not we were surprised to see variants. So first off, what is a variant? So, uh, you know, a variant simply refers to a slightly different strain um, of uh, SARS-CoV-2 in this case. I mean, there's variants of everything, uh, every single bacteria, virus, uh, people. You know, you can think about people, think, uh, uh, unsurprisingly, as variants as well, right? We all have slightly different genetic makeups. Um, and obviously, if you have enough genetic makeup, you're a different species or a different, uh, a different type of bacteria or virus. Um, but even within uh, a given, in this case, virus or within a given really anything, you know, human, uh, whale, uh, you know, insect, um, you can have enough variation. And it's really what gives us the diversity of life, which is really quite exciting. So it's certainly not surprising that variants have arisen. It's just part of nature. Yeah, it really, it really isn't a surprise at all. In fact, I think it's fair to say we were expecting this. And, it, and it, it's also fair to say that this happens all the time, like you said. In other words, and when you really think about a variant, at least one of the things I think about, it's just like when you think about the genetic code of a virus, it kind of makes sense that over time it's going to change. And when there's a change that's you know going to stick around for a while, then that's the new strain that's going to be around here. And that's kind of what happened, you know, is you've got a strain that seems like it's more contagious from one person to the other. And I think that gets to the experience in the United Kingdom. So the United Kingdom really was the first ones that broke the news with this variant back in the fall of 2020. What's your experience with the variant so far in the United Kingdom? Yeah, so I think, you know, this is a similar to many other parts of the pandemic. This is uh, uh, evolving as we speak. We're knowing more uh, every day. I think what was most concerning, you, you know, they turned this variant uh, B, B as in Bob, 117. Uh, so this variant uh, has become the more dominant strain uh, in the UK. And I think um, as we look at the sequencing of these different viruses, the, the first question that came up uh, in the UK and certainly among scientists well, was, well, why is this strain becoming the dominant strain in the UK? And that suggests that this virus had an advantage right over other variants or uh, other strains of SARS-CoV-2. And so the question, the next question was, well, what is that advantage? And it turns out based on early data uh, that this strain specifically, B117, appeared to be more transmissible, potentially up to 50% compared to other strains. And that should make sense, right? That's why it became the dominant strain. Um, and that's why these sorts of studies, uh, sometimes they're called molecular epidemiology, uh, molecular surveillance. It's also sometimes referred to as phylogenetics, um, et cetera. This is a, a branch of public health, of epidemiology, where they actually look at the genetic sequences um, uh, and, and map them and to, to see these groupings and which strains emerge. Yeah, and it's interesting. You talk about B117, and I have to tell you, now that you said B as in Bob, 
Uh, from now on, I'm going to refer to the variant as Bob. I just want to get that out on the table for you that I'm now going to call the variant Bob because I feel like that's what I need to do today. Um, but apparently the naming is, is a scheme that we use to name things, name the changes. It's just a phylogenetic uh, naming scheme. In other words, once there's a change, you've got to have a mechanism for actually naming the change so you can see that. So I think it's kind of incredible uh, that we can actually name these things. But I, I think it's totally unsurprising that there is a variant and it kind of makes sense that once you do have a variant, it's likely it will become the dominant strain because like you said, since it's more contagious, spreads from one person to the other more efficiently and more effectively, then it kind of makes sense. It's gonna become the most likely strain in your community. And so it really gets back to that key point, like how do you keep it out of your community? And like one of the things that I get a lot of questions about is do we have this variant in Rhode Island yet? And right now, as far as I know, as of today, we don't have the variant in Rhode Island as far as I know today, and we've been looking for it. So we send a small collection of specimens to labs and we look for it. We haven't found it yet, but I wouldn't be surprised that it does come into Rhode Island. I mean, are you going to be surprised when we have the variant in Rhode Island, Dr. Chan? Um, I would not be surprised. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if it's already here somewhere. And I, you know, caution people, you know, I don't want people to freak out saying that. But, uh, you know, again, there's always a lot of different uh, diversity among these viruses. And I wouldn't be surprised if it either has been here and left. Uh, the person was, you know, was isolated and, and, and got cured and, and went on. Um, but I think it would be normal to expect it here at some point. Yeah, it's possible it was here, you know, because what the way it would have come is someone would have come from another country into our state of Rhode Island and would have been here. And then their own immune system might have fought off the virus and they would have gotten better and it may not have spread it if they isolated appropriately and then infect a lot of other people. So it's going to take a critical mass. And this should sound familiar. Like, in other words, what I say this should sound familiar is like when you think about how the pandemic got started in the United States, the way it came was small number of cases came, but some of them were isolated and then they didn't go on to have secondary spread or tertiary spread or even more cases after that. And that's what you're trying to do in, in really our infection control. What we're trying to do is when a case comes is isolate the person so their virus doesn't spread to more people, so they don't spread it to more people, so don't spread it to even more people. So it's possible that's what happened. So it could have been here and we wouldn't have known yet. Having said that, it really makes me think about other questions like how do you prevent the variant? In other words, if I'm thinking about this from a person who lives in Rhode Island or any state in the United States, something like, gee, what can I do to prevent getting the variant? Dr. Chan, what are your ideas for how to prevent people from getting the variant? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, Dr. Fauci uh, describes this a little bit as a race against time. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some other variants that are emerging as well. But, you know, I think to your point, you know, everything that we've been preaching from here at the Department of Health is going to protect against this variant. And I think the most important thing that you just said uh, or that really struck me uh, was that uh, it has to gain a hold. Right. So, in fact, uh, I was talking we were talking to Dr. King, our uh, our uh, state health director, who's been a really paramount, done a fantastic job leading um, that effort uh, here in the state. And she mentioned just last week that they sequenced um, about 100 uh, uh, circulating variants randomly selected from all over Rhode Island, and they did not see this variant. So we are actively looking. Um, but to your point, and uh, I think it's uh, really strikes the chord, is that it, it really has to gain a foothold. So if people continue uh, to be careful, to mask, to isolate, to quarantine when appropriate, um, we're hoping, knock on wood, that this variant will obviously not gain a foothold and we won't see it here in Rhode Island. 
you know, it's interesting you talk about masking and it kind of reminds me that, you know, we don't really have the shortage of masks that we used to. And so some people are actually wearing two masks at the same time. Um, and when I was looking at the inauguration of President Biden, I was sort of amused to see Pete Buttigieg was wearing two masks. Um, so, in, and I think you see this happen. It's funny, when my daughter worked at Macy's last month as a seasonal employee, she would wear a medical procedure mask, then the Macy's mask over it just to give her extra protection. And the rationale for her for double masking was she wanted to do source control, not be someone who could spread to someone else, but also like extra layer protection from others. And I've seen this more and more, like I see more and more people using KN95 masks or even getting those non-medical grade N95 masks. And I've even seen this Korean mask, the KF94, which you know offers very similar protection to an N95. So I think one of the other things people can do to prevent getting the variant is being really vigilant about their masking, but you know whether it's a double mask or upgrade to a higher quality mask, it's another way to do it. But one of the other things you got me thinking about was you talked about us sequencing and sending specimens away to sequence. Can you just explain what that really means to folks? Like in other words, when we're sequencing the virus, from what I understand we're doing is actually taking live virus that we have from somebody and we're sending it to a laboratory where they can actually sequence its gene. But explain what that means, please. Yeah, great question. So this brings us back to basic uh, biology. And, I, you know, sometimes when I talk about this, I forget how uh, how many advances the world of science has really um, achieved in the last hundred years. And I think one of the most in terms of biology and medicine and where we're going, I mean, one of the one of the fundamental principles of science is what's known um, as the dogma of life, right? It's it's DNA leads to RNA leads to proteins. And the, and these are the building blocks of, uh, of humans, of, of, of species in general. Um, and so this SARS-CoV-2 virus, the virus that causes COVID-19, right? It's an RNA virus. Um, and interestingly, uh, we also have an RNA vaccines, which are totally different. Uh, and again, the vaccines are little piece of the RNA of the virus genome. So there's no way, it, it's not the full RNA of the virus. Um, it's a little piece, which is why there's no way it could ever actually lead to uh, an actual infection. Um, but this RNA, right, this RNA strand that codes for the virus um, that's in, in a normal virus SARS-CoV-2 life cycle is injected into uh, a person's cell and then uh, uses the cell's machinery to actually copy pieces of itself, the proteins, which assemble into the full virus. And one of the key, one of the key parts of the virus, uh, there's many key parts. Again, viruses are incredibly efficient, right? Every single thing uh, that the RNA codes for is an important part of the virus. But one of the important parts is called the spike protein. And basically this uh, B117 variant uh, has a mutation in the spike protein. And so that's the part, again, of the virus that binds to the ACE2 receptors, uh, a critical, the critical part that allows um, the virus to actually infect the cells. And in this variant, uh, I know I'm getting a little technical here, but there's a mutation uh, where you have uh, one protein um, known as an N uh, at position 501 that changes to a Y. And so it's a single mutation, protein mutation, and that single mutation uh, in one of these amino acids of this protein actually allows this virus to significantly 
um, to more strongly bind to uh, human cell receptors and infect the cells. So that's why it becomes more transmissible. And I think the other thing that just emerged this week, Dr. McDonald, is that there's unfortunately some um, emerging data that it may actually um, cause people more likely to, to die or have serious complications from the virus. And that's evolving. Yeah. And so that's where the new data has to kind of unfold a little bit, but that's really the issue is like, you know, when you look at why we care about this as a virus at all is, you know, it, if this was a pandemic virus that didn't cause people to die or end up in the hospital, a lot of the world would have been, Oh, it's another nuisance we have to deal with. But because this virus is so significant and people end up in the hospital or pass away, this is why the planet got together is trying to prevent all this. You know, one of the things that we have to talk about, though, is do you think the vaccine will be effective against the variant? And one of the things that got me thinking about before we answer that question is, you know, every year we have a flu vaccine and, and the, every year we have a different flu vaccine. And it kind of reflects. So we we're in the United States. We're in the northern hemisphere. So generally every year the vaccine is adjusted for the northern hemisphere based on what's been seen in the southern hemisphere, because you see changes in flu viruses. Uh, throughout the year. In other words, the flu viruses that are out there, the multiple ones, I mean, this year there's four strains like there is in most years that we're protecting against, you know, whether it's A or B strains, but it really gets to there's different strains of the flu. How does that make you think about when we make flu vaccines? Do you see that happening to COVID vaccines? And do you think the current COVID vaccine we have right now will work against the current variant we have right now? Yeah, great question. So I do want to emphasize that the uh, that SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus, um, is different than influenza. You know, if you think of the flu virus, influenza, as a you know a subset of different genes. So let's just say there's three or four genes in the flu virus. The one one of the one of the hallmarks of influenza is that those segments can actually switch out with other strains of the flu from other species. And so this gets to the point about the risk of some of these emergent infections from animals, uh, from uh, zoonotic sources. And perhaps maybe we'll chat about that again on a future podcast. Um, but we don't see that yet that we know of, knock on wood, that I know of uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2. So I'm optimistic uh, that the vaccines that we have will be pretty potent. And in fact, um, Moderna released some information this week, Pfizer a couple weeks ago, that show that their vaccines, at least, um, are going to be anticipated to be effective against the UK variant. So that's good news uh, for sure. I think one of the big concerns, of course, is that there will be other variants that could potentially emerge that may be resistant to the vaccines. And the other thing this reminds me of, Dr. McDonald, maybe you can comment on this, um, is that we also have monoclonal antibodies, obviously, which are um, one of the one of the best uh, outpatient treatments and people with mild to moderate COVID-19. What are your thoughts on whether or not uh, monoclonal antibodies may work against these variants? Yeah, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because right now you think about what a monoclonal antibody is, it's, it's basically an antibody made in a laboratory that we inject into another person. It gives them this instant immune system. So there you go. We've got an immune system that's very specific though and protects you against the virus from entering your cells. So in other words, if you're someone who has SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, the disease, and you are someone who gets the monoclonal antibody, what that antibody is supposed to do, go into your body, bind to the spike protein and prevent the virus from going into your cells. The thing I think right now is right now, I think those monoclonal antibodies are effective. What I wonder about is if you see enough variation in the virus is we might need to have a new monoclonal antibody, but you would need more variation for that to occur. So right now, my thought is we're okay. 
Um, but we'd have to do some more research to see in the future whether this is going to still hold true. Any thoughts on that from your standpoint? No, I think that's uh, to your point. Uh, I think one thing I'm reassured about um, is that uh, both of these monoclonal antibodies and the vaccine, uh, they can be tweaked, right, and, and edited and adjusted uh, to address emerging strains. So I think now that we have the technology, now that we knew, know it works, um, I am assured, reassured, even if these variants emerge, which are resistant to monoclonal antibodies or vaccines, is that at least we have the, uh, the infrastructure, the science, um, a history uh, of validated approaches now that that can address for sure. And I think this brings up an in, another interesting point, you know, something else that's come up in the media the last, certainly the last few weeks, uh, Dr. McDonald is thinking about changing or uh, the dosing schedule to vaccines, right? So one thing that's come up is whether or not we should use half doses of the vaccine or, uh, or maybe just give one dose and hold off on the second dose. And this is one of the reasons to me, at least, that messing with the, the vaccine schedule or the dosing may reduce effectiveness against um, other variants. And one thing I think it's important to let people know is that it's not black and white, yes or no, whether or not a vaccine works. Like, so these new vaccines, it, it's on a spectrum, meaning the vaccines, even if they're uh, even if they're not 100% effective against some of the some of these emerging variants, they may be 80% or 90% or 70%. And so, if we start tweaking and giving half doses or messing with the vaccine schedule, um, some experts have raised concerns that we may see downstream effects where some of these variants may actually be able to overcome uh, some of the the immunity that these vaccines um, uh, uh, lead to. Any thoughts on that, Dr. McDonald? Yeah, I mean, I think this gets to you know, it's so interesting. I think as we look at this limited supply of vaccine, I think people are looking for shortcuts. And I don't really think now is the time for shortcuts. Like, and one of the ways I think about it is, it's interesting, you know, in Rhode Island, we've been dealing with the SARS-CoV-2 since February 28th of 2020. So not even a year yet. But if I had said to folks, gee, by July of 2021, I think we're gonna have enough vaccine that's gonna be safe and effective for anybody who wants it. I think a lot of people would have signed up for that bargain. I think they would have said, that's great. And quite frankly, I think that's what's going to happen. And, and this is why I worry a little bit about sort of this impatience about not having an effect seen right away. It's important, um, but I, I have to fall back on, it's a preventable disease still. We have a better supply of personal protective equipment. And, and I think sometimes it gets my mind around, I'm just in the position of being thankful and joyful that we have a vaccine at all that I'm more comfortable just waiting for folks just to, you know, recognize we want to do the high risk people first. So, you know, my preference is not to look for shortcuts and not to split doses and not to extend things because I don't think it puts us in the best position. I want to take care of any operational efficiency we can. Um, but I think right now we're best kind of sticking with the schedule that works best from the research we've seen. It kind of brings me to kind of my last question is what if we had a variant that was less severe, but even more contagious, what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think as we've seen from this UK experience, um, I think everything's possible and on the table. Um, and in fact, right, if you were a virus, right, just imagine for a second that you are 
uh, a virus. In fact, the best uh, way to live, to propagate, to evolve to would actually be, as you suggest, Dr. McDonald, right? A virus that spreads really throughout the population, but doesn't kill people, doesn't kill the host. So it may be in the future, to your point, that we see a virus selected for um, that is more contagious, uh, but that we learn to evolve with, frankly, and it's, it's, it doesn't lead to uh, death in humans quite as much as, uh, as it is now. So totally possible. And I think uh, one thing that we've all learned in the pandemic, to your point, it feels like 10 years, even though I'm reminded again that it hasn't even been a year. But uh, I think the science of this is evolving. Uh, we're learning more. I think there's much more to learn. Uh, but we are learning with it. And I think, you know, I'm also reminded in less than a year, Dr. McDonald, right, we have we have amazing progress, not only vaccines, but treatments, these monoclonal antibodies, remdesivir. Uh, I think reviewing uh, some of the latest treatments on the pipeline, we're going to have more treatments in the near future. So we have definitely learned with this virus and it just the pace of science and what's happened this past year to me is just truly astounding. Yeah, I think that's really, I mean, as we wrap up our episode today, I think that's one of the things I've really pulled out of this pandemic is the pace of science. It's really gotten much quicker. You know, so one of the things I think about is like, you know, things have just moved along. In other words, where we are right now, way better position than I ever thought we would have been back in February of 2020. We have treatment, we have vaccine, we don't have enough, but we have some. We know how to prevent it and we're keeping track of what the future looks like. And, and I think that gets to a safe place. In other words, and I think it'll just be a matter of where we go. So I think as we summarize today's episode, sure, there are variants of SARS-CoV-2. They're not at all surprising. The ones we see right now do seem more contagious. At least right now, the vaccines are safe and effective against it. And we think right now the monoclonal antibodies will be safe and effective against it as well right now. Um, so overall, that's our summary. Dr. Chan, we go to you for our final word. What's your final word for today? Great. Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you for those that are uh, listening in. In closing, I would like to leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of the day. And here it is. When you stop trying to change others and work on changing yourself, your world changes for the better. Thank you all and be well. I want to thank Jose Garcia, our executive director, Carol Stone, our technical director, and I hope everybody has a great day. Thank you.